My name is Joe Escobedo, and with me on today's show is Anna Gong. Thanks so much for being on the show, Anna. Thank you, Joe. I have my cup of Joe. <laughs> there we go. Very nice. So Anna is actually the CEO of Perks Technologies. So for those of for those who haven't heard of Perks, how would you explain what you do to a five-year-old? Oh goodness, <laughs> we help and enable businesses to um, delightfully uh, become engaged marketplaces, and we've evolved so much. Um, since we've redefined and reimagined what loyalty and customer engagement looks like in the digital economy. So since we focus on enterprise businesses, uh, we're really transforming these large enterprises to become really sexy digital native marketplaces. And, and at the same time, we help them engage their customers with our solution. So it's both the, uh, the front end, the back end enablement, but uh, it, it's exciting times because We've evolved from a B2C business, then to an enterprise platform, serving the loyalty market. And now it's like, well, it's, it's not really loyalty per se. It's, a, it's so much more proactive engagement. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, I, we, it's been a while since we, catch, we caught up. So I, I'm, I'm love to hear about your journey, kind of the ups and downs we talked about earlier. Um, I think for those who don't know, um, we had a chance to work on a Forbes article a few years back. And I think one of the things it's, it's, it's been, it feels like, it feels like forever ago. I think you were just getting started then, if I'm not mistaken, you just launched the business. Um, we, we just started to AB test our assumptions with the pivot and, you know, the first year in the pivot, trying to find product market fit. And we sort of just entered the cusp of finding product market fit. And now it's like, how do we sustain that? And how do we win more uh, customers to buy into our, our vision? Um, and then it just evolved from there. Yeah, we've grown, um, you know, threefold since then. I mean, it's, like I said, it's incredible. I think just, just speaking with you the first time, I knew that the company is going to be a success just because of who you are as, as a leader and how driven you were. So it's just exciting to see kind of the progression that you guys have had over the past few years. And one of the things we talked about is um, at the time, you know, the importance of building your personal brand and how that helps kind of um, the company and, and build awareness and things like that. Do you still think that's the case or has that kind of died down as you built up the company brand? Yeah, I think branding is not our issue now because I, you know, we, we were part of so many different startup programs, um, speaking platforms, and those initial years were part of the branding exercise as well to yeah. see, you know, how can perks extend ourselves outside of Singapore and no longer do people resonate with, oh, I used to use your app. <laughs> now yeah. it's a little different conversation, but we still get it from here and there. You know, oh yeah, I, I used your app six years ago. And we, we even get it in the Philippines where some of these, uh, you know, tech or digital leaders said, I used to live in Singapore. I used your app a long time ago. So, it, you know, it resonates with people that brand and we, we started, we kept the brand for a reason. It had a ring to it. Um, it's easy to remember. And then we, mm. we you know, enter, how do you say, it? Uh, we enterprise our brand. <laughs> so mm. we made it even more sophisticated um, because now we're selling to different audiences. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, what, what has been the big key learning from that? Like you said, just helping them shift to, to digital natives. What have been some of the key learnings in that process? Because I know it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, 
I think with COVID also, it's, it's accelerated a lot of these uh, buying cycles, purchasing behaviors, uh, transformational strategy, uh, how they want to execute. Everything has changed. And so in, in a way, it's in our favor because now everything's uh, pent up <laughs> for, yeah. for a massive launch. I think with fintech, with mobile first, and with a lot of the super apps in the market, it's created this ecosystem that's gotten so gray. You know, com mm. the competitive landscape has gotten so gray. Mm. And everyone now is becoming some type of fintech player. Um, you know, you could be a retailer and you're going into fintech. You could be a gaming company going into fintech. And so you, everyone needs a wallet or and everyone needs some type of financial services angle. Mm. Uh, because if you have a, you know, millions and millions of uh, a sustainable, loyal base of customers already, that is yet to be monetized. Can you imagine every transaction that goes through with millions of these customers, how much revenue you could actually obtain? But there hasn't been a way to actually put that into a lifestyle-oriented marketplace, including the fintech as the underbelly um, or underpinning that whole business model. But the super app started it early, right? And then mm -hmm. you can see, you know, with the China investments and financial intensive coming in, it has blown everything out of proportion and they're accelerating this, you know, with, with their engine, with the resources. And now Asia is becoming this de facto standard mobile first uh, super app marketplace. And insurance companies want to create and insurance health marts or health marketplaces, you have, you know, banking wants to incorporate full on lifestyle and content into their core banking services. Telcos are now building super apps and FinTech as well as marketplaces. So everyone is building a super app. And the, the competition is now colliding and there's going to be a lot of, um, I would say M&A in the future to mm. see, you know, and then, with all the tech giants coming into Asia, rather than competing, they are actually now partnering and investing in Asian super apps and telcos. Um, you see Facebook putting their investment into Gojek, and then you see mm. Facebook also uh, investing in Reliance Geo. Um, Amazon wants a piece of that pie in India. So telcos is the first like urgent transformation, and I, I see that um, moving more and more to Asia. No, I think it's a very good point. And I see the same thing that, you know, like I said, everyone wants to be a fintech player. Everyone wants to create a super app. I think the the inherent risk with that is I think because everyone's starting doing it, they, they think that it's something you have to do um, versus something that, you know, is actually good for the business or good for the customer. So I see a lot of organizations, I'll probably get flack for this, um, creating these super apps, but they're just doing it for the sake of doing it because they see that other players in the market are doing that. And so, once again, does it really have an impact on the business of the customers? It's, it's you know, big question mark. Well, that's <laughs> right. I, I think if, if you're a digital native and you're trying to start from scratch now, it's too expensive of an exercise to do that, uh, especially during this time. Um, but if you had a, a you know three four year uh, advantage and head start, you're in the right trajectory. Um, and then the the traditional enterprises they already have millions of you know, highly sticky customer base. Um, mm. Now you're, you're not gonna switch banks overnight. You're not gonna switch mobile carriers. You're gonna stick with them for the long haul, you know, and if you mm. move around, it's the same customer base. So you're not really moving much market share. Actually, it's in the user's favor because all of these brands are funding our lifestyle. At the end of mm. the day, the, the consumer wins. 
And so with this evolution of digitalization, the consumers will get even more benefits out of this. Let's, let's hope that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned something quite interesting in terms of the stickiness, and this is something I wanna, I wanna get your thoughts on in terms of loyalty. Um, obviously, you know, insurance, banking, like you said, you're not gonna switch. But what about those industries like retail where, um, you know, there's been a lot of press, a lot of, you know, research on loyalty, particularly millennials and younger generation becoming less and less. Um, how does that kind of impact those less sticky organizations when it comes to loyalty? Well, we, we are talking to some really cool organizations like tech companies that have a different way of operating and envisioning their connection with their customers. If you have a predominantly base of, let's say, um, young users, Gen Z, Gen Y, yeah. you know, really, really young, you know, 30 and under, you have to think about purpose-driven CSR approach um, to branding, to connecting with them. And they're not really thinking like the baby boomers or you know, the, the older generation. So they have a different way. Is it purposeful? Um, mm. They look at money differently as well. They look at environments uh, differently. So I think as a brand, um, depends on the personas that you actually go after. Mm -hmm. Even this COVID exercise has actually accelerated a lot of the baby boomers to use mobile in a different way and force them to do it because there's no other way to do it <laughs> than yeah. to go to your mobile, right? I mean, they're not in drones uh, or you're getting 100% addressable market of these baby boomers, but at least you know, there's a certain percentage of them actually now are sticking to mobile first. Um, so we, we see loyalty is really dead. I mean, if you think about uh, what Grab's doing, creating this Gmart and, or Grab Mart, and then you have other uh, companies that are creating marketplaces, everyone is just trying to become that marketplace for consumers and making mm -hmm. it easier. But the SMEs will actually change um, and that, market and that segment will also accelerate pretty quickly so i think i see the whole ecosystem evolving and those who actually adopt it and actually embrace it and also power that ecosystem um we're like one of those players it's in our favor actually yeah i guess what you were saying is like it it's it, it has to evolve because if you look at traditional loyalty a lot of times it's like sending like these uh you know email blasts and stuff like that it's like get 10 percent off and that's what they think like loyalty is and there's a lot of organizations very large that still do that and i think right. that's what's going to keep the customers going but to your point you said for the younger generation they're looking for something a little bit beyond that you know looking at a purpose-driven approach to how the brand you know speaks but only operates um i think now is an excellent time and this might be a bit controversial time for a lot of different reasons globally but yes. this is something i would love to get your thoughts on as well because i've seen you know, a lot of organizations kind of jump on bad wagons when it comes yeah. to purpose-driven stuff. So you see like, obviously Black Lives Matters and then Gay Pride and you see them switching their logos almost overnight, depending on, you know, which, which cause overlaps with that date. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on organizations who, you know, may not have a clear idea in terms of their, their purpose? Oh yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, we've seen so many companies evolved, um, and I think COVID has changed how we operate. Uh, I see like six months ago how we interacted with some of these senior leaderships, and then now it's completely different because 
they have to think about not just uh, driving top line, that, you know, no longer that even our conversation is not really about top line per se, right? Mm. It's really driving operational efficiency and just fast tracking some of their digitalization projects. Um, and, and this whole loyalty thing, it's the, because this is what we know. This is what the generation knows. It's, you mm. know, let's fix loyalty. Let's, well, screw loyalty. Seriously, you know, stop trying to you know, come up with a loyalty program. What everyone needs is an essential services or what is actually more meaningful for their lifestyle. So that's why understanding and learning your customer's behavior, transactional or non-transactional is key. Um, because now that with COVID and this will extend for the next you know, 12 to 18 months at, at the minimum, our, our needs and wants are just literally essentials. <laughs> uh, I'm not yeah. going to think about getting the best lipstick or, yeah. you know, some, you know, that's like the last thing on my mind. It's like on, on the 1000 list, right? Yeah. The top five is really the essentials, you know, grocery mm -hmm. and, and all the things that we need on a daily basis, coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think to think about consumers, we have to think about, um, you know, that's why retail and the luxury and advertising, the mm -hmm. spend drop significantly yeah uh, and that's going to be the most hurt hospitality obviously yeah. funny enough a few years back um when we started this business pivot i said we should not go after aviation we should not go after hospitality <laughs> and very little retail <laughs> so and you... we went for the essential and the essentials are things that consumers cannot live without banking insurance mobile services and grocery right so these Four essentials are the only ones that we started focusing on first because there's high stickiness already. I, I love that. And I think it applies to whether you're trying to invest in companies or you're trying to invest in kind of partners or clients. Um, you're absolutely right. It's something I've been thinking about as well is those companies that aren't affected by recessions, not to say they're recession proof because every company I think will be impacted in some respect, but there are some where they're extremely volatile, which you pointed out a couple in terms of like, you know, aviation, luxury, where, you know, the economy is going great, then yes, they're going to go up. But as soon as it, it dips like it is now, um, they're feeling the pain. So I think that's an excellent point in terms of understanding how volatile your, your customer market is. And I love that you've thought about that. You know, I've, I've thought about that reactively, but I've, you've already thought about that proactively in terms of where you want to focus. So I think it's incredibly smart. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, having failed so many startups prior, you know, and great businesses, whether it's, you know, you're going through a recession or, you know, the economy is growing, great business will, will sustain itself um, because you're serving a, a, a business model that is highly effective. And, it, and it's one of those things where, once again, you focus on the essential markets, you also focus on enterprises, which I do as well, also the essential ones. Um, but I think that also helps, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of SMEs are feeling the, the most pain during this time. I think a lot of the larger ones will have enough capital, capital that'll carry them through these times. But I think the SMEs will really, really, you know, feel the pain right, up, right about now. So it makes sense that, you know, you're kind of taking those boxes in terms of those who can survive and those who have enough capital and investment to, you know, invest in things like this to carry them through this time. Um, so. Right, right. I remember, you know, during the dot-com bust um, era, and this is actually so different, right? That the feeling of that, but it's, it's essentially a recession. And we, we saw every day there was some startup, you know, 
folding, like multiple startups folding every day. And there, it was always headline, how many startups are laying off people? How many start? Yeah. And the startups, you know, if we're, we're private sector funded, it's, it's private equity. And we're not going to get the government grants very yeah. seldom. Uh, and then if you get the government grants, you have to, you know, qualify X, Y, Z, you know, all of these different criteria. So it's essentially 80 percent or more of the startups won't qualify um and and there's no point in in trying to chase after these government grants um that's why we we you know we thought through a lot of this if we're not sustainable on our own with or without any help um and and if the investors don't believe in us um then it's a fail model um then we have to go back to the drawing board and call it a day but i i think um for our startups there's i haven't seen too many of these, um, you know, these noises and headliners. Um, and, and I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a com company called F Company. I can't say it right. <laughs> it was called fcompany.com. And every time you log into, I tell you, the traffic going in there every day to see who's been effed. <laughs> and then you see a lineup of startups, you know, but there isn't, a, you know, now you go to Tech in Asia and a few others that you know, share with you these types of uh, scenarios, but oh, back then was a very different experience, yeah. Yeah, I think that some of the companies have learned, I think from the recent recessions and have started to build up a bit of more of a runway. So they've yeah. survived this, but yeah, it's one of those things that everyone's affected. Um, another thing I wanna get your thoughts on is we talk about the ups and downs and obviously you've been had to pivot on, on top of that, and I don't recognize this because I interview a lot of female leaders, but you are a, a female leader in Asia. Has that had kind of a an impact in terms of how you operate or how people have perceived working with you as a female entrepreneur? No, I'm, I'm pretty abrasive. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I don't find myself in, in a certain gender. Like I just base everything on outcomes and merit. Um, but because I was born female, I, I fit into that bias. And so you operate that way um, just by a de facto standard, what society views you. But I just go after a certain goal. You, you have a, a, a major purpose and, and a certain company objective to achieve. And whether female or male, you just have to, you know. But how I see things and feel things and how I lead, maybe you know, different than the male. And that's, that's going to be inherently our DNA uh, doing the thing. So I see myself more or less achieving certain trajectory based on what I can apply from my learnings, um, male or female. I've learned most of my actually leadership skills from men. <laughs> so, really? Uh, yeah, because there's no females in tech back then, you know, who, who are the role uh. models? You know, uh, you start out your career in 97 in the Valley and there is no females in tech. Yeah. So then you, you know, you, you literally look up to the IBMers and the Intel leaders and all these ex executives and they're like one of the, the best trained, you know, uh, senior leaders. And then you learn so much from them. I mean, if you're, if you're the type of leader that are high, you know, you, your first day on the job is to fire a thousand people. How, how do you do that? <laughs> so yeah. It's tough. So you learn from these guys um, who know how to scale, who know how to manage. They have this playbook back then. And um, some of that leadership um, learning 
it, it could be so valuable today. Um, I think people need strong, resilient leaders who are compassionate. Mm. No, I, I'm with you 110%. I feel the exact same way. I think um, the reason I bring that up is a lot of people who are watching this, who have interviewed our female executives and, um, you know, they, there's a lot of, you know, female entrepreneur clubs now that it's becoming pr far more prevalent. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of young female entrepreneurs who just blow away a lot of the older, you know, executives I've seen. And I think it's particularly in Asia. I don't know if, because I've been in Asia for 13 years, I've seen some incredible young female talent. Like I said, I don't really pay attention to gender. Um, but if I look at, you know, the people who have, you know, um, changed my mind in terms of like, Broadening and things like that. It's it's a lot of them have been female entrepreneurs. I looking back, um, so I think yeah. age in particular. I don't know if it's the you know competitiveness or what it is, but you see a lot of emerging female talent coming out. Yeah, I think more so here than the West. Uh, mm. I experience the same. Uh, I don't know what's what you know from a tech sector, right? But from a traditional enterprise, from the leadership mm. uh, perspective, is still very dominated by the men. Mm even well, on the board, right? So, but this era of new founders and millennial founders will change the game for the next generation. And I'm so glad to see and, and participate in some of this. And some of the females that I'm, I'm working with, they're like, you know, they're such kick-ass female leaders. And I, I'm learning a lot from them and they're so much younger than me. And so there's a lot to really exchange you know I, I have a few scars on my back but my my experience is very different so i can't say oh learn from me and but yeah. i'm learning from them actually uh so it's a great experience uh, absolutely like i said i love that you are mentoring i think you're an inspiration to male or female whatever gender i think you are an inspiration to anyone who wants to start a business like i said i think just your determination your passion for what you do is undeniable so anyone who's spoken with you i'm sure has felt the same way um and it's, it's infectious. I think it goes back to, you are talking about building cultures. I know you started building your own kind of internal culture. If you can share more about kind of what has been the process in building your own purpose-led culture. Yeah, we, we evolved so much. Actually, we just did an exercise, um, digital offsite rather than a remote offsite, right? <laughs> uh, uh, and having that um, Zoom connection versus the face-to-face -face connection when you're doing these team building offsites, are so so different but we were just talking about this our, our culture has shifted uh, and especially even now like what what are our va i mean obviously your values don't change too much but how we operate how we execute and mm -hmm. how we you know talk to each other with more empathy and compassion it's it's even more and recognize people for their efforts and and their uh, contribution because if they don't get that human interaction, you need to do more of this, um, verbalizing some of the, the appreciation. So the culture is, is shifted big time and we're now trying to redefine what that looks like and feel like because we're operating remotely through a screen. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so when we first started, we completely went this you know, B2C type of, you know, um, culture and then we went to enterprise so oh we got to be a little bit more sophisticated but execute like a startup yeah. <laughs> and then, you know and now it's like well just be yourself just just be yourself and it's okay that your kid is running in the background your dog's licking your face while you're having <laughs> and, yeah. and so it's just be authentic um and just embrace it right now no one should be judged um in, in this manner 
So no, I think it's a very good point of kind of, like I said, regardless of the audience, just having, you know, certain values, which you talked about, empathy and things like that, authenticity. I guess the, the question is, as the team grows, how do you really assess, like, whether it's someone who's coming on board or someone who's been with the company for a while, how do you whether assess whether they're actually living those values out is always the big question I have. Yeah, I think uh, when you have a strong OKR culture also, mm-hmm. um, there, now there's no room to think differently because it's now based on your own created constitution. <laughs> You're, mm-hmm. You literally define those objectives, uh, personal or business uh, unit or company uh, OKRs. Mm-hmm. So as long as it's you know, from the top down approach and bottoms up aligns well, really well, um, mm-hmm. We can all march in a much, you know, faster velocity. I think when there's no alignment and there's no core objectives that everyone is um, going towards a certain purpose, it's really hard. Um, so now I know my my KPIs are this. You know, my I, I, my outcome is is what I actually created, and how do I deviate from that? Mm. You, you can't deviate from your own, um, you know, your own defined measurement. So it's about accountability and ownership uh, for, mm. for most part. And then the rest of the culture and the core values come through to help you, you know, achieve those results. I think that makes, makes perfect sense. And this is something I've always tried to do in building teams. I do it now with my current team is trying to align their um, personal and professional objectives. So whenever I'm interviewing someone, I always try to figure out, you know, what are you trying to, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing outside of work? And try to align yeah. that because a lot of the times, where I made the mistake or where I've been put in wrong fits is uh, misalignment in terms of what I actually enjoy doing versus the, the job scope. So I may take it because look, I need money or I need, you know, <laughs> I just need the job and I may be able to convince the, uh, the recruiter, or the HR manager that you know, I could do it. But at the end of the day, you know, as time goes on, I'm going to be less involved um, and less enthusiastic because it doesn't really fit my own values or the way I kind of, my way of working. So I, th- I think that's something that I've started tweaking way back when is trying to, as you said, align kind of the personal and professional with the objectives as well. So it's all kind of um, cohesive and knock on wood, no one's, no one's left me so far, but. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, that, that says a lot about, you know, your company culture and your leadership as well, because we want people to grow into their own, but also practice a lot of their strengths. Uh, most of the weaknesses are coming from soft skills. It, yeah. it has, you know, you can't do a spreadsheet better <laughs> or, you know, you can yeah. only get a certain way of doing, um, you know, the, the hard skills. But um, and as you practice more and more, great leaders are because they're so damn good with soft skills. Mm. You, you are absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've interviewed a lot of CEOs, billionaires and things like that. And I think the soft skills is probably something they have over, you know, those who have more technical skills. Um, and it does take, there's two different things. I think the soft skills, but I think also you talked about earlier in terms of empathy. Um, so even in my team, I asked them, what do you think about culture? And they said, for us, it feels like a family. And yeah. I think that's the type of environment that I wanted to create where it's an open door. Like you can be very transparent with me. If you don't like me or you don't like something I do, let me know. Um, and I'm very protective of my kids and my, my team. Like, you know, if anyone tries to attack them, I say, you, you come at me first. <laughs> That's true because it's become our because we spend so much time with each other. Um, 
I mean, eight hours, ten, sometimes 10 hours on Zoom a day, um, if not in person. And, it, you know, that kind of connection, it's, it's family. You spend more of your time with your colleagues than your, sometimes your personal loved ones. <laughs> so it's crazy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm, like I said, I'm sure everyone's very excited about, you know, the working at parks and working with you. I would be. So <laughs> I'm sure it's the case with <laughs> many of them. Um, so Anna, I really, really, you know, appreciated catching up with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, we'll have to do this once, you know, we're able to do it in, in person <laughs> soon. <laughs> but, uh, I look forward to that. I know we, we're not sure when that uh, phase three or four comes in, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So time we'll have to do Zoom. But uh, last question is, how can people get in touch or find out more about what you do? Um, I'm always accessible on LinkedIn and other social channels like Twitter. Um, so um, they can also reach out um, with, with my email, Anna at perkstech.com. Um, I'm always embracing, you know, thought leadership, exchanges, ideation with, um, you know, the community. Uh, and those who have questions about my business also uh, feel free to reach out. Well, there you go. So if you're watching this, please feel free to reach out to Anna. She's an amazing um, leader. I'm sure you'll learn a lot. Just follow her on LinkedIn. Uh, so thank you so much, Anna. Really, really appreciate you sharing your insights and your time today. Um, and hopefully we'll do this again soon. Great. Thank you, Joe. You take good care and then I'll see you online or offline. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. See you soon. Bye, thank guys. You.